Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. It's uh, Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. Uh, this is the third Sunday we can't uh, meet together uh, as uh, in a group, but I hope you're gathering in your homes and you're getting up and you've got your copy of God's Word. And at 1045 today, if you get on Valleydale's website, you can live stream uh, the service and the sermon. Uh, I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll use this day as a day of worship. Uh, I hope you will sing the songs. I hope you will pray. I hope you'll open God's Word as we're looking at Leviticus chapter 4. And I hope you'll also do this. I hope you'll remember your church. Uh, Whoever you are, wherever you are, uh, remember your church financially during this difficult uh, time, during these difficult days. Uh, Your church, I can tell you, your pastor is working harder right now in a new environment that no one has (laughs) any kind of precedence for. He's working harder right now uh, than he ever has before. Uh, I can tell you it's true uh, for me in my life. So I'll look for you at 1045 uh, for worship. But this morning, I hope you've got a copy of God's Word and you've got uh, your cup of coffee. If you can see, I've got a This is the whole food that I like to eat right here. Psalm 128, Psalms of Ascent, going up to Jerusalem. All of these Hebrews going up to those great festivals that they would have, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, uh, when all of Israel was required to go up there. uh, They would rehearse these songs along the way, and then when they came to Jerusalem, they would go in the temple and they would sing these psalms as well. So let's look at Psalm 128. Now, let me tell you, uh, a lot of scholars think that Psalm 127 and 128 go together. Uh, They do appear to be twin psalms. Many believe uh, that Psalm 127 and 128 were originally just one psalm. Uh, But back when Stephen Langton, back in... um, Uh, 1227, when he divided the Bible out into chapters, he was the the Archbishop of Canterbury. When he divided them out, he divided this into two. There's nothing sacred about that. That's that's not inerrant, uh, the chapter and verse divisions. And it may be, may be that this was one psalm. Um, I tend to think maybe it was its own psalm. Maybe Solomon wrote it. Uh, as a companion for Psalm 127. Uh, I rather think that it was written later. Uh, Somebody maybe like Hezekiah who looked back at Solomon's Psalm 127, thought about it, and wrote this in response to it. Um, Let me tell you the central idea is going to be in the very first verse, and it it is... um, It dominates the whole of the psalm. The psalm is divided into three parts. I'll give you that in a moment. But here's the central idea, and it's this. And it speaks of a proper centeredness to life. What centers your life? The center of gravity in life spiritually is the fear of God. Now, I'll talk about that in a moment. The, 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 the center of gravity, what centers your life, is the fear of God um, and uh, the belief in God, the, the worship of God. 
This psalm is divided into three parts. Verse 1 and verse 2 is to an individual. Verse 3 and verse 4 is the family. And verse 5 and verse 6 is the nation. So you're going to move from the individual to the family to the nation. And how this individual impacts the family and then how the family impacts the nation. So let's go to the text and let me just uh, show you what I do whenever I sit down with a passage like this and I just start to pick through it. I go through it. Beginning right here, verse one, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now I've got to stop at the word blessed right there. It's esher in the Hebrew and uh, it is translated happy. But if you translate it only as happy, you miss the richness of the word. It's far more than that. Happiness uh, for us as Americans uh, comes from external stimuli. You know, if somebody walked up and gave me a Ferrari, somebody came to the front door and said, uh, Mac, here are the keys to a brand new Ferrari. Uh, it's sitting right here. I would be happy. And I would be happy until I had to take that thing in to get it worked on. And when I took it in to get it worked on and they gave me $5,000 bill for changing the oil filter, I, my happiness would be gone. Uh, I wouldn't be happy anymore. I wouldn't be happy if I had to pay the taxes on that thing. Uh, what does bring a real inner happiness is that Honda that holds its value, that uh, is very cheap to work on and cheap to operate. Now, that you know what? That brings... That doesn't bring the immediate rush of emotion like a Ferrari, but it brings an inner settledness, an inner um, contentment, an inner pleasing uh, satisfaction uh, that I have something that is very dependable and is cheap to operate. Now, that's the word blessed is this internal satisfaction and stability and this internal pleasantness in life. That's blessed. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, everybody always asks, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me give you three quick little things about that. Three quick little elements about the fear of the Lord. Number one, it's a reference for God's, a reverence for God's person. I have a reverence for who God is. I honor him. I reverence him. I worship him. Uh, that is revealed in my attitude toward God. And it's also revealed in the way I use the name of God. We live in a time where it is, it is so cliche. It is so chic to say, Oh my God, let me tell you something. That is a misuse and an abuse of the name of God. And it speaks of a very casual, lax attitude toward the person of God. It's a reverence for God. That's the fear of God. Secondly, it's a reverence for God's word. I love God's word. I reverence God's word. Uh, God's law, God's rule, God's uh, way is, is very important in my life. And how I treat God's word shows my reverence, my fear of God. The third thing is, is a reverence for God's judgment. Do you realize that we all will stand before God one day, even those of us that are believers, will not be judged uh, as to whether or not we get into heaven. That is for certain. 
but we will face an accounting for how we live the Christian life. And so it's a reverence for God's judgment. I will stand. Listen, let me tell you something. Um, I live with a healthy fear of the judgment of God that at any moment God could do anything to me he so desired. So now that's the fear of God. That's what it means. It means uh, not that I cower, but that I have a real healthy respect and reverence for God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now this is going to show up in the way you live your life. Who walks in his ways. That is, God has boundaries for your life. And when you fear God, you walk within the boundaries that God is. Made. You say, well, what are those boundaries? You find it right here in his word. That's where you discover the boundaries of God for life. Now, verse 1 tells you what you're to do. You're blessed if you do this. Verse 2 now comes and it shows you the results of living a life where you fear God. You reverence God. He says this. The results are you shall eat the fruit of your labor. God is going to provide for your needs. You need to hear that right now. God will provide for your needs. You will have what you need in life. God doesn't always give us what we want, but God does give us what we need. The second thing that he says is this, you shall be blessed. Your life will, will have this favor of God. You'll have that inner stability, that inner centeredness in life. You remember, I remember when I was a child, I had one of these, I remember getting one of these blow up things. It's plastic blow up. It was a clown. And in the bottom of it, it had that sand. I don't know what you call those things, but you used to punch it and you'd knock it over and then it would always come back up. You knock it over and then it would come right back up. That's what this is talking. You'll have that centeredness, that blessedness in your life that no matter what coronavirus comes along, you may be knocked over, but listen, you're going to come right back up. God's going to take care of you. And that's what he says in this third thing in verse 2, and it's this, it shall be future tense well with you. Who else could say that but an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God, a God who is already in our future. He is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there in your tomorrows. You need to know he holds your life and your future in his hands. And he says, if you fear him, it shall be well in the days to come with you. Now that's a blessing. For those of you that are concerned and fearful right now, if you fear the Lord, you reverence God in your life, you need to understand He's the one that holds tomorrow. Not the government, not the medical professionals. He's the one that holds your tomorrows. Now, that's the individual. He comes now in verse 3 and verse 4, and he moves to the family. I really see that verse 1 and verse 2 almost can be spoken to the man the head of the family, the one who is to be the spiritual leader. And he says, when your life reverences God, when your life is lived out in the fear of the Lord, God comes and look what he does to your family. Verse three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. 
Now, a fruitful vine, what, what does he mean? It means more than just she's going to have children. That's, it's far deeper than that, folks. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. What does that mean? Well, there are three things I think that refers to. Number one, I think it's spiritual. She will flourish spiritually. She will be a godly woman. When her husband reverences God, when her husband uh, follows the boundaries God has set up, when her husband submits to God, this woman will flourish spiritually. Not just that, but she is a woman who flourishes. Now listen, that because that's what it means. Fruitful vine means one that is flourishing. It means that she is flourishing in contentment. Uh, she's not bitter. She's not contentious. She is not dissatisfied and unhappy and constantly looking for something else to get involved in, looking for something else to get involved in, looking for something else. She is a woman who flourishes with contentment in her life. Well, that's, um, that's the wife. She is godly. She, has, she flourishes spiritually. She flourishes with contentment. There's a third thing, and I'm going to point you to the Song of Solomon. Go read about the Shulamite bride. She is sexually fulfilled. Now, let me, let me tell you, you say, well, no, you know, well, no, wait a minute, why, why do you put that in there? Because that's exactly one of the implications of a fruitful vine. She is sexually fulfilled. She and her husband are happy uh, with each other. They express their love. You understand that the marriage bed is undefiled. Well, that is the wife. Uh, when a man fears God, he has a wife like that. Now, look at this. Here come the children. Or next, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Uh, an olive tree is an olive tree was the backbone of the economy of Israel in Jesus's day. It was um, it was everything. Uh, the they pressed those olives, and out of that they got olive oil, which had a thousand and one different uses. It was used for lubrication. It was used for skin products. It was used to give illumination. That's how they lit their lamps. Uh, it gave them light. It was, it was used in cooking. It was used in medicine. It was used in all kinds of ways. And, and this is uh, kind of the concept of this. Your children will be useful. They will find a use in life. When a father fears God, when a father reverences God, it comes down in the family. It impacts the family. Uh, it, uh, it has an effect on the life of the children. And these children become very productive. Um, they are like these evergreen olive trees. Uh, an olive tree is always green. It bears beautiful fruit, useful fruit. And let me tell you something. It lasts forever. I have seen olive trees that are close to 2,000 years old. And the interesting thing is this, is when you see an olive tree that's 500, 600, 800, 1,000 years old, you'll see all of these young shoots that are coming up around it. Um, and I, I say that because last night out here on the porch, we had some of the grandkids over and Courtney and Barry were here. And I, I thought about this very thing. Here are the here are the olive trees around my table. 
and uh, I bought them supper. So that's what it means to be around the table. They were being nourished. I was feeding them. Uh, and uh, here they are. They're growing up, and, and they grow up around the old. The delight of a, of a husband and wife in old age is to have the children and the grandchildren growing up around them. Well, he comes to the, to the third uh, member of this, and it's the man again in verse 4. And he says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed. That's a different word in verse 4 than verse 1. In verse 4, it is the word bara. And there it means to be abundant. It means to be adored. It means to be saluted or to be blessed. It's translated that way. So listen to what that is saying. Behold, thus shall the man, the man who fears God, the man who reverence God, his wife is this flourishing vine. His children are these olive uh, shoots that are productive and that are growing up around him and he's nourishing them. He is the guy who is adored. He's the guy who is saluted. I've got right here my dad's Bible. I'd love to take you through it. You can, you can see uh, what it looks like. It is the most well-worn Bible I've ever seen. And um, he has just gotten everything you can imagine written in here, the notes that he's taken. And I want to tell you, this is how my dad blessed our family right here, was through his commitment uh, to the Lord and his love of the Word of God. And we three children, my two sisters and myself, we adored him. Behold, look, thus shall the man be adored, saluted. He will be abundant who fears the Lord. Now, the third part of this is the nation. Let me make this quick. The Lord bless you from Zion. This is... Uh, the country, the nation, looking back at this godly family. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Basically what this is saying is the nation turns to look and, and it says, our real security is in the family that trusts in God. Now I'm going to say something that a lot of people, it's not popular in this day. It's not politically correct in this day. And uh, a lot of people argue, and even people who stand in pulpits uh, balk about this. But I want to tell you that America is a, uh, a God-blessed nation because America was founded on Christian values. You go back to the Puritans who were in England, and they were Puritans. They tried to purify the church there, therefore the name Puritans. They left, and they came to the shores of America, and they became known as pilgrims. They came with that um, Mayflower compact that said they came here for the propagation of the gospel. Go look up the Mayflower compact. That is so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be spread. They had a work ethic. They had a family ethic. They had a biblical worldview. And they came and they labored 
and they worked and they invested themselves and they trained the next generation out of the word of God. And you and I, some 300 and some odd years later, still reap the blessing of the founding fathers of this country. That's exactly what he's saying right here. As they go up to Jerusalem, they realize their nation is blessed because there is a daddy in the home that fears God. And in his fear and reverence of God, that family has gravity. It has centeredness. And God blesses that family. And it is God-blessed families that give stability to the nation. May you see your children's children Peace be upon Israel. There will be peace in the nation when there is, there is a fear and a reverence of God in the family. And there will be a fear and a reverence of God in the family when there is a fear and a reverence of God in daddy. Here is a picture of it in Andy and Opie bachelors. Aunt B has gone. She's left to go see somebody, a relative of the family. Andy and Opie are left by themselves and Peggy comes in the first night and cooks a wonderful meal and they are so excited and happy. But Floyd, the barber, begins to put into the mind of Andy that all she wants is to get him as a husband. And so Andy tells her, don't you come, don't come. Opie and I want to spend some time together. And it is a disaster. The meal that night is burned weenies and beans. And as much as Andy tries to tell Opie, oh, if this is good, this is great, this is what you wanted, here we are, bachelors. Uh, it's not very good. Until Peggy walks in. Peggy comes in and she says, oh, that's a terrible meal. And Opie says, I'm still hungry. It was awful. And Andy says, why are you doing this? And uh, Peggy says, well, because, you know, you guys need something to eat. And Opie's hungry. And, you know, I like doing it. Why else should I do it? And so Andy sees that she's not after him. And he becomes happy. And she says, come on, I'm going to fix you something to eat. And she goes into the kitchen and he goes to get his guitar to sing, and Opie runs up to him and says, what just happened? And Andy turns around and he says, what do you mean? And Opie says, well, you didn't want to sing and I didn't want to talk and the meal was terrible and all of this. What just happened? Something happened. And Andy looks at him and he says, there's a woman in the house. Let me tell you something. When you've got a godly husband, and a godly wife, they will make a happy home. And out of that godly happy home will come a flourishing nation. God bless. I'll see you at 1045.